This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's Total Saints podcast. We're the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. And firstly, a very happy Easter to you if you're celebrating around the world. After what will be a combined round trip of about 1,600 miles to Newcastle and back, Adam, Steve and myself are here to chat through some of the key talking points from the 3-1 defeat up at St James's Park yesterday. Alongside that, we'll look ahead to this week's coming matches versus Watford at Vicarage Road and Bournemouth at St Mary's in the It's Not a Derby Derby. We'll also get some brief reflections on the recent announcement by Saints of their 2019-20 season ticket prices, which, as ever in football these days, always generate some discussion. And we'll also get an update from Adam on the uh, imminent appointment, I think we can call it that, of Martin Glover as part of the club's restructuring. Before we get going, with only four games now left until the end of the season, I thought we should do our latest TSP Fantasy Football League update ahead of the crunch running and quest for our highly inexpensive TSP FPL trophy. So based on results up to and including Saturday the 21st, the top five look like this in reverse order. In fifth, we got Clumsy FC, Adam Kazam, 2,087 points. In fourth, we got Split the Atom, Tom Bryan, 2,109 points. Third is Anton's All-Stars, Cole Anton, 2,119 points. Second is Magic 68, Bob Brown, 2,145. And currently top, Liquid Football, Mike Hopkins, 2,173. So three or four of those names have been up there most of the season. Uh, I thought, obviously, we should have a quick look at us three just to make sure that um, we're keeping tabs on particularly Adam Leach's position. So, uh, Leach, you're currently 146. So I'm not sure if you've gone up or down, but uh, 1,573 points. So... It's looking like it's going to be a tough ask now to win from that position. 
Well, at least I've been consistent. I think that we can say that. Absolutely. And then me and Steve, there's literally nothing between us, just a, a little bit of paper, which, to be honest, could change over uh, Sunday. But, uh, Steve, you're 42nd on uh, 1,898 points, and I'm 43rd on 1,895 points. So Ooh. at the moment, at the moment, Ooh. Steve, this is a, a Prediction League Fantasy League double you're taking home. Well, the numbers speak for themselves, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll leave it there excellent so yeah well good luck to everyone I know as I say Mike Hopkins Bob Brown etc Tom Bryan have all been up there pretty much all season so it certainly looks to be a uh, exciting finish um, also been very lucky enough to get a, a late patron uh, into uh, TSP as well so Nick Reed's joined up as a patron this week via patreon.com slash total saints pod so Nick a very very big thank you from all of us to you for uh, becoming a patron of TSP right in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com and sponsored by happy hot tubs where bearing in mind the weather you can get 10% off hot tubs accessories and chemicals if you mention total saints podcast in store this is TSP episode 72 I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk this weekend saw Saints up north at Rafa Benitez's Newcastle United in a game that ended in a disappointing defeat. Although, admittedly, Adam, this time I managed to stick with it until 86 minutes, so I did a lot better than last season. I did leave when the uh, third goal went in. But, uh, look, I mean, Saints have been largely performing well the last six to eight weeks. Adam, they picked up a lot of good results, a lot of points. So, you know, whilst it was disappointing, I, I think it'd be a bit unfair to overreact to a, a disappointing result like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it was kind of the point I was making in last week's pod when, when we had the Harsen Hootel loving that you're going to still have ups and downs and they're, they're not a team that are going to be amazing all the time. And the first 45 minutes was well, unquestionably the worst that Saints have played since Harsen Hootel took over. Mm. Um, there wasn't even a, you know, a close second, I don't think. I mean, they were just absolutely dreadful. In fact, What's amazing is that I think that you know somebody even pointed it out to me, but we joked on the pod the week before. Well, it can't be worse than it was at Newcastle last season. Well, that first half was worse. I think <laughs> they were they were absolutely abysmal, yeah. weren't they, in the first half? Uh, second half, in fairness to them, obviously Harson Hootel made the changes at the break and they showed a, a, some spirit um, and some character. I think it's important that they kind of learn the lessons and take something from mm. from this game and and. The way I look at it, uh, there's there's kind of a, and obviously I have very long drive home to think about these theories. So <laughs> there's sort of a few competing ideas. Obviously they had Valerie LA drop out through illness and Vestergaard a fairly late drop out through injury. He mm. did train on Friday and was sort of penciled in to be fit to play, but kind of was a late pull out because he kind yeah. of was sore after training and just couldn't continue. So they obviously had to make a couple of changes to what's been a fairly consistent and steady defense really mm, mm. um and you could either take the view that Hassan Hootel basically got it wrong mm. um which I think was an interesting view I think it's um got me thinking about because Adam Blackmore tweeted out didn't say Hassan Hootel got it wrong but that's kind of what he implied because he said you know with hindsight surely Ralph would have thought he should have started with a back four which yeah. suggests that you think that he basically made a mistake and picked the wrong team 
um, which was one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it was that maybe there was some sort of mental block in the players, whether it was fatigue or whether it was complacency, which Ralph denied after the game. But, you know, maybe that was a factor. They felt like they were safe. And, yeah. and so it was a getting ready for the beach type performance in the first half. Or the third thing, and this is where I must admit I lean and where I think it's important that if there's any truth in this, that the lessons are learned, is that that was a, a big sign of, of the kind of size of job that's required in the summer mm. because that was only two players missing yep. and it caused absolute carnage, mm. basically. I also would say I'm not entirely 100% sure that Ralph did get that starting 11 correct, but... He obviously wanted to stick with five at the back. Fair enough. Kind of match up Newcastle away from home. But having Valerie out, your right-sided options, really, are Kane Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I, I said made this point a little while ago. It's all very well saying we've got all these great young players. But if you've effectively got two right-sided defenders, one of them gets injured and you'd rather move somebody out of position than play the other one, then that tells you what you need to know about where the other one is at the moment. So therefore, you can't really paint that as a proper option. Now, he's young, so obviously he'll he'll develop, hopefully, and will become a more trusted senior player. But at this point in time, and in the centre-half department, sorry, I should just add, so then you play Ward-Prowse there. We've already seen that, despite his best efforts, Ward-Prowse is not a right wing-back. That is not his position. And he has been so good in midfield. You took away from the midfield position as well. So you, you weakened your your potential front line as well. So uh, so that's one thing. And then the other, Vestergaard being missing, meant that he then decided he had to shuffle all the central defensive positions. So Jack Stevens comes in, but Jack Stevens plays on the right, having mm. not played for ages, alongside War Prowse, who's not a natural right wing back. Then Bednarek, who's been excellent in that right-sided yep. of the centre three, goes to the left and looks like a complete fish out of water. Mm. I mean, from from being outstanding, he looked like he'd almost never played in defence in his life. Yep. I mean, it was in the first half. Then he, you know, when it settles down, he's a lot better. And Yoshida, who is your left-sided player, stays in the centre because obviously he doesn't want to disrupt the balance. So the point I'm making is that you've only got two players missing there. Mm. And you've moved players all over the pitch. Like, you know, there's people going all over the place from, yeah. from midfield to defence, from one side of the defence to the other. And and it caused absolute chaos. And the team looked very, very unsettled playing that way. And so my point overall is that that's a lesson for the summer mm. in that, you know, there is a lot of work to be done because you can't have a situation where you only have a couple of players missing and it causes that kind of bedlam in the team. I think you made some great points there, Adam, very much so. And uh, I have to be honest, Steve, I was sat on the train on the way back up to Edinburgh last night. I was chomping on my uh, Burger King and uh, across the table there were some Newcastle fans from us across the aisles, sorry, and uh, they were talking about 23rd of February, Newcastle beat Huddersfield 2-0 and one of them asked one of the other ones and I had to sort of bite my lip and not uh, react. He said that he thought Southampton were worse than Huddersfield, uh, which was a bit disappointing to hear. But to be honest, I guess the frustrating thing for all of us was they didn't really have to do that much to beat us yesterday. No, I mean, it was largely self-inflicted wounds, wasn't it? One thing that I'm not, I'm, I've no idea whether it was picked up on uh, TV or not, but um, there were at least three occasions in the first half where, so on the far side, touchline as the cameras look at it so mm. from the away end the the touchline that was nearest us on the left yeah the linesman on that side shocker. 
the ball must have gone out of play at least three times yeah. and he failed to flag. And th- this wasn't sort of balls that were on the borderline. So you kind mm. of give him the, the benefit of the doubt that he's a little bit closer. There may have been a little edge of the ball that was still over the line or something like that. There was one that Stevens lumped up the line that clearly curled, curled, about, out. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. curled yep. about three yards out of play and landed on the touchline. Yeah. And he said, no, nope, this is all fine. Mm. And the second goal came from another similar occasion yep. where, I mean, Sims completely balls up his um, his control, yeah. drags the ball out of play and drags it straight back in again. Yeah. And the linesman doesn't flag and they, they obviously then break and go and score the second goal. Yeah. Now, you don't get to play advantage for the for the ball going out of play. That's not a thing. Mm. If the ball's out of play, the play is stopped. Yeah. And the linesman's just missed it completely. Mm. So I mean, we're a little bit unlucky in, in that sense. But I think Bertrand is kind of dozing at the far post when the cross comes in and... Yep. Yeah, I mean, we've we've not covered ourselves in glory defensively at all, have we, in that one? No, nah, and even in the second half, I mean, Gunn made that worldy of a save, but to be honest, that, again, was the same line to him, and, and actually yeah. the ball was miles out. Yeah, I mean, I... I he, was tw- he was a good 20, he was at least 20 yards behind play there. Yeah, exactly. So I, I thought for the second goal, the ball looked out. I did message the WhatsApp group, and they said they weren't sure, but I'm not sure what angles they showed on television, but it looked out to me. But, uh, look, I mean, let, let's sort of try and get some positives out of it, Steve. He made some changes at half-time. Mario Lamina came back in. I thought he looked excellent, fit, second half. He obviously got his goal, and hopefully for the last few handful of games of the season, someone that can come in and have a point to prove. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said previously, sort of back, sort of around Christmas, New Year time, when he last played, it's obvious that Hasenhutl clearly wants to kind of almost build the midfield around him because in those games, even though it was obvious that he was carrying some sort of injury and wasn't able to really get through more than more than around an hour or so, mm. he was still starting him in the in those games yeah. and then being prepared to sacrifice one of the three substitutions in order to get as much out of him as he possibly could. Yeah. And yeah, I mean he looked lively yesterday. He was, did his usual thing of um retaining possession, being able to beat a man, happy to dribble past people, mm. um, always looking to play in the offensive direction as opposed to um like even when he had his back to goal, he was always looking to turn. Mm. Which I mean, decision making is what is probably one of the one of the things that he needs to improve. But yep. more often than not he was making the right choices uh, this time. Yep. I mean obviously the one thing he's got to do is learn when to offload it and when to when to shoot. I mean Redmond was pretty guilty of that mm. um yesterday I thought where there were a lot of times where he got into positions kind of on the corner of the area and he was trying to take pot shots from there and it's like well just buy out the percentages there you're not gonna you're not likely to score from uh, from those sort of positions but then i guess when you see danny ing struggling as badly as he yeah. as he did yesterday you kind of think well what other option have i got he didn't look great did he danny ings and i i, I know we'll come on to talk about watford but i would imagine shane long uh, probably will start that game and um, look we spoke last week adam didn't we about or maybe it was the pod before about game management, silly yellow cards for time delaying throw-ins and that sort of thing. I have to say, when James Ward-Prowse took out, I think it was Elmerum, wasn't it? I uh, applauded straight away because it was a, a clear case of two-on-one. Again, we've spoken over the years about Saints being more of a threat to themselves when they're attacking a corner than when they're defending it, but there was a lot of furore around, I think, about whether it should have been a red card. I was talking to Freddie from the Ugly Inside this morning. He told me that they were 69 yards from goal, so it was quite a long way to go, but for me, you know, we've spoken about game management and I thought that was the perfect place for him to take the guy out, take a yellow card for the team, stop the attack, because that's what he should have done in that position. Well, I agree. It was the right thing to do. And it, yeah, in my view, it, I was absolutely gobsmacked that he didn't get sent off because it was it was a goal. I know that I think it's Sims is trying to get back. But essentially, if you've got two players with a 
yeah, and he was making good progress, Amrod. Rondon mm. was busting a gut on the far post. If you've got two players breaking forward and just a goalkeeper to beat, how is that less a red card there than it is another 20 yards up the pitch? If that's 20 yards up the pitch, if that's just inside Saints' half rather mm. than just inside Newcastle's, he's gone and there's no argument. Mm. So I uh, bear in mind how fast Amaron was moving. Nobody was catching him. And so, yeah, in my mind, it was it was a clear red card, uh, I, I felt. Um, I thought it was a very poor decision, actually, in mm-hmm. my, my view. But that's talking about the referee. But from the actual what the point you make i agree it was a great thing because you just from war prowse because you can't say it's a certain goal but then when it's a clear goal scoring opportunity it's never you're saying it's a certain goal are you very rarely is it somebody gets hacked down when they've got like the ball at their feet two yards from goal and that was a nil nil as well wasn't it Um, yeah i mean had he been sent off you would have thought oh blimey they're playing with 10 men for the rest of the game but actually you're better off almost doing that with nil nil than you are if you feel like you're definitely going to concede the goal so he mm. took the risk that he wouldn't get sent off basically mm. and stops him and it was the right thing to do because in the end whether we agree it's the right decision or wrong decision it was definitely very borderline as to whether he'd stay on the referee mm. opted to give him the yellow and so brilliant for for one yellow card you've stopped what was probably 90 percent certain to be a goal yeah one yellow card absolutely completely agree it was absolutely the right thing to do and yeah it, de- it definitely showed that maybe they're working on that and maybe they're learning so that was a real positive definitely yeah just finally then because i'm not going to spend ages talking about the newcastle game steve but what do you think ralph will have learned from that i mean as adam made there you know there's some really good points that he probably would have learned himself as the manager but just in terms of some of the players that he brought into the side that maybe some of the positions he found them in what do you think he'll take away from that game this is the second uh, away game in a row where we've ended up being, well, the second time that we've been 2-0 down at half-time, having given away absolutely bloody awful goals. Mm-hmm. And at half-time, he hooks Jack Stevens. Yep. I think that's basically a, a line-in-the-sand moment, I suspect. Mm. And, I mean, barring some sort of uh, injury crisis for the for the remainder of the season, I wouldn't have thought we'll see him again. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it depends whether Valerie's fit and available for Tuesday night. Was it just an illness? Or? Yeah, I think that's what Adam um, said, right? He was ill, Adam. Yeah, he was, he was taken ill on Friday, so he was with the team in the hotel and started to feel very unwell. So, obviously, they, they didn't want the risk of that spreading as well. Just said it home. Yeah, yeah, they literally they got somebody to drive him home there and then. So, he mm. was driven home on Friday night. So um, That's a long so, yeah, drive home when you're feeling rough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Poor guy. Yeah. I don't wonder how many times they had to stop in the lay-by. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as you say, Steve, I mean, I guess, you know, hopefully he'll be back for Tuesday. Yeah, we kind of miss, we just missed the balance, didn't we? Mm. That that having a proper fullback or wingback in that role um, gives you. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you say, Ward Prowse being shifted out of position where he's been largely excellent this calendar year mm. to cover for that space is well, it kind of shot ourselves in the foot in two ways, really, didn't it? And it's yeah, um, yeah a little bit frustrating, but I'd, I would imagine that Ralph will basically just say, well, I'm not going to do that again then. Just finally on Newcastle then, Adam, uh, as I say, we're not going to waste loads of time on it, but you sort of wrote an article in the Echo beforehand that you released on Twitter about the uh, impending restructure above Ralph Hasenhutl, which we've spoken about uh, a bit over the last few weeks. It appears that it's going to start with the hiring of Martin Glover, who's going to join from Everton as our new chief scout. So what do we know about him, Adam? And I guess some sort of clarification, if you you know at this stage around who's made these decisions, are we assuming it's Simmons and Ross Wilson, or is there other people that you think been involved in hiring him? Well, I mean, the first thing to probably outline for those who haven't read it is actually just what the structure is going to be, which is 
as I've sort of hinted at in past pods, is moving away from this one person of complete you know, power, a bit like the Les Reed type figure, and getting away from this idea of having a director of football and having a few people heading up the various strands of the various departments within the football side of the club. So you've got obviously the scouting type and recruitment type side, um, which is going to be this guy, Martin Glover, who comes to Saints from Everton. They're having to pay a bit of compensation, I think, to get him out of there. Um, So they obviously think he's definitely the man that that's right for them. What we know about him is limited in terms of, you know, what do you ever know about a scout? Most of them are fairly low profile. We know the clubs he's worked at, um, Blackburn, uh, Leeds, West Ham, Sunderland, Everton. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know he used to be a PE teacher. <laughs> and, Critical uh, info, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not sure we know all that much else. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess was... the I guess the initial question. Sorry to butt in. I guess the initial question for Saints fans is: Look, you know, for me, he starts with a clean slate. But you look at Sunderland's situation last year. You look at Everton, the amount of money they spent, some of their signings questionable. So, I don't know whether it's right as Saints fans to be a little nervous or look. Let's just draw a line, give the guy a chance. He's not done anything wrong yet. A bit like we spoke about with Gal last week. Well, I think that's how you've got to be. And when you look at the way that, from what the guys at the Liverpool Echo have said, you know, as well, he obviously was in that chief scout role. They brought in somebody else who's taken over Europe and he's done the UK. And when you look at Everton's signings over the past few years, yes, a bit like when you look at Saints' signings, there's no way you could argue that they've spent particularly well. Mm. Um but actually, their UK recruitment has been quite good. They have bought in some decent players from the U- from the UK when you look at um, a lot of what they've bought in. So you feel like, well, maybe that was sort of his forte, which is why he's moved to that area. And if that's the case, then actually his record there is, is relatively encouraging. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you have to start with a clean slate. I think what will be interesting, though, is obviously you have to bear in mind that at Everton he was chief scout and obviously a very important person, but I don't think he was, you know, they had what Steve Walsh there for a while as well. So I don't think he was the one signing every single player. So I think it's very unfair to make out that all of the things that went wrong at Everton might have been his fault. We just don't really know. But I think what's interesting is that when we go back to the structure, we've got the chief scout, we've got football operations, which is Ross Wilson. Mm -hmm. And we've got this new, what's going to be player development type job it you know was bandied around as technical director and now looks like it's going to be called player development or head of player development or something a bit odd like that yep. which is kind of this guy who's going to take on more of i guess what martin hunter was kind of there doing in, in terms of overseeing all the way through the age groups if that makes sense to make sure the consistency's there and you've got somebody at the top who's making sure that everything's done correctly and you know, a lot of this is, you know, what you'd call day to day management, you know, sure. it's logistically hiring the right people in those areas of the club. It's managing things. It's probably boring things like signing people's expenses and things like <laughs> that. I don't know. But it's, it's probably a lot of that as well as. But what's interesting, what we don't really know 100 percent is kind of what will be the policy in terms of how they're going to pick players to sign, because obviously it was the that it looked like he was going to be head of recruitment, uh, Glover. Mm. Now he's chief scout. Mm. So it's kind of like that feels like a bit of a change of emphasis in terms of, oh, scouting the players and recommending signings, but then don't necessarily blame him if the signings aren't good. But then, well, who is making the decision? Is it Ralph? Yep. I doubt they'll just let the manager make that decision on his own. 
Is it Ross still making those decisions? He's certainly going to be responsible for technically signing the players, you know, mm. doing negotiations with clubs, with agents, things like that. Is it going to be a collection of people? We don't really know for sure. Yeah. Whether that is because I just don't know, whether that's because Saints haven't quite got all their ducks in a row with exactly how this is going to work and they're trying to get the right people and sort of figure it out as they go along. Mm. I'm not entirely sure either way, but, you know, it's coming together. It looks like when, when Glover joins, to be honest, in terms of this restructuring, they are literally just one person shy of completing that side of the football club now, given that Ross is already in the football operations role. Yeah. Look, you may not know the answer to this. Do we think that this is someone Saints have approached and asked to sort of come to the club? Or, I mean, were they actively advertising the role and he's someone that thought, oh, that's a great opportunity. I'd like to go for that. Or do we not really know? No, we don't know. What you have to bear in mind about football is that, like so many things, it's a very small world and everybody knows everybody. Mm. You know, it's relatively incestuous in that sense. Yeah. So I've got an idea and I can certainly imagine what I think has happened, but I'm probably best not to spout that theory out publicly, I think, and keep it to myself. Fair enough. All right. And just final question then. So do we think he'll start imminently as in before the end of the season or that it'll probably be at the start of the summer as in ahead of the transfer window do you not think he's really that critical to any of the sort of decisions the club are making in terms of they'll already probably have some signings lined up and those sort of things well i think they'd like to get him in as soon as possible Mm. um but uh, obviously the final negotiations with everton are still ongoing as we speak so you know from saints's point of view that they'll just have to wait and see how those wrap up and and how everton approach it i guess it depends what saints are prepared to pay if we're saying to prepare to pay kind of what Everton won, then I suppose he can join tomorrow, basically. Um, and I guess that's what Saints will want. And if they're not prepared to pay, then Everton could make it difficult for him, couldn't they? And, and sort of drag it out a little bit. But to all intents and purposes, joining instantly, whether that is that he literally walks through the door and settled in at his desk by this time next week, mm. or whether that's, you know, he knows he's coming. And so where's your head going to be at then anyway? But surely he is going to be part of the recruitment process. He is going to have to have a say and an input into what is going to happen in the summer. He's going to have to. Last week, Saints communicated their 2019-20 season ticket prices for both renewals and new purchases. Included as part of the refresh were £2,399 adult season tickets for the Itchen South Corner, an increase in the age category of a young adult from 18 to 21 to 18 to 25, and also a £19 season ticket, which is £1 per game for under 11 sat in the family stand. Ultimately, the club believe that two-thirds of renewing season ticket holders will benefit from a price reduction next season, whilst the remaining third will see their seat costs frozen. For new season ticket purchases, the adult tickets will range from £185, the most expensive at around £45 per game, to £541, which is about £28.50 per game. Steve, I suppose the club will never achieve the keeping everyone happy in inverted commas motto, but it does sort of generally feel like, to me, a small step in the, the right direction, bearing in mind some of the bad entertainment we've had on the pitch over the last couple of seasons and what could potentially happen with uh, Ralph and the team next season you know we're hopefully uh, looking forward to much more entertaining seasons so just in summary one question on season tickets do you think Saints have just about got it right or do you think they could have done more I think they probably could have done a bit more I like the this concept of the £399 season ticket but it also feels like a little bit cynical 
in the um obviously every season we get all these um price of football surveys which show the um the cheapest adult season ticket that you can buy and that is basically going to bump us right up the table in terms of uh, offering the cheapest yep. like man city man city offer like i think there's about 300 season tickets that are available at about 250 quid mm. and that generally puts them right up the top yep. and it completely ignores the fact that most of their season tickets are actually about five six hundred quid yeah and that's kind of going to have have a similar impact on us. So I I think there's a bit of bit of sort of PR skullduggery, I guess, mm. in in that it just it just feels a bit feels a bit artificial. But at the end of the day, two thousand people are going to benefit from that. So um, that's a positive. I mean, mine's gone down forty quid, which is essentially I mean just over one game. Yeah. And it just feels like with the amount of money that we get from both TV and the and prize money and sponsorship and all and all the rest. I think I saw that the match day revenue is about eleven percent of the club's revenue these mm. days, mm. and it just feels that such a relatively small drop in the ocean, really. Yeah. That they could have done something a little bit more, and they would generate so much more positive press for it. Yeah. Um. So say they they knocked a hundred quid off adult season tickets, universal praise. I mean, well, say universal, you still had some people who would have said, well, I could do it for nothing, which yeah. they could. Yep. That was worked out, wasn't it? A few months back that basically half the league could literally give their tickets away and they'd still make a profit. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, they, they could have done more, but it's a step in the right direction. You then having to wait until this time next year to see if it's um, see if it's something that they're looking to continue mm. in terms of keeping people relatively happy mm. or whether it's just a cynical uh, sort of Mia culpa, yeah, we've screwed up the last couple of years, so here's here's a little bit back. But next season, if we've kind of rectified the situation and we're we're looking a lot better on the pitch, um, then we're going to jack the prices back up again. Saints have two games this coming week. Firstly, a rearranged trip to Watford due to the latter's involvement in the FA Cup this season where they've, of course, reached the FA Cup final. Next Saturday, Eddie Howe and his Bournemouth team arrive at St Mary's for the penultimate home game of the 2018-19 season. Adam, starting with Watford then, what have you made of them this season overall? It's almost in the obvious to say that they've they've had a great season, haven't they? I mean, their FA Cup run, their league form, yeah, fantastic. They have kind of really been... The standout team, um, the the best of the rest, yep. without a shadow of a doubt. And yeah, they've been excellent. I'm not sure if I'm completely honest, hand on heart, when they appointed Javi Gracier, I really expected this to happen mm. for them. I, I didn't really. So yeah, you can only tilt your hat to what a fantastic job they've done and does sort of remind you of Saints under Cuban, doesn't it? Yep. To the extent that you feel like, well, there's a club that we're looking at going, Phew. Well, they've done a great job, haven't they? They're playing good football. They're mm. winning loads of games. They're, you know, they're, they're favourites now to maybe try and sneak a, a Europa League place for next season. Yep. Fantastic. Good on them. The, yeah, they're a, they're a smaller club as well, aren't they, really? Mm-hmm. Um, not that any club's small in the Premier League, but by Premier League terms, um, fighting against the odds. And they've been enjoyable to watch as well. They've played a nice uh, brand of football most of the season. They've got some good attacking Uh, talent as well and it's going to be a hard test for Saints because the thing that Watford have got is 
that they've got motivation. Mm. This is not a, an end of season like dead rubber. You feel a little bit like, yeah, Bournemouth maybe have the motivation of of the South Coast derby, not derby there. But from Watford's point of view, you know, that is real motivation for them because they are they need to keep winning to to finish seventh and get European football. And I'm sure that the, firstly, that the players want that to finish off a good season. Yep. Um and secondly, I'm sure that if that's not enough to motivate them, I'm sure that in their contracts, they get a significant bonus each for uh, how high they finish and for qualifying for Europe. So I'm sure that that would motivate them if nothing else would. So Saints go there facing a team that uh, have done well this season, that are in good form and mm. that have motivation left to play for. So that makes it uh, probably quite a difficult evening, I'd think. Yeah, looking at them then, Steve, so probably, you know, for me, a game that I think could be won and lost in midfield. You look at Decore and Kapue, players like that. But, of course, they will be without Troy Deeney, their captain, and Talisman, who's out of the fixture, suspended. So, you know, he's someone that naturally causes problems to most teams, including Saints. So, yes, we need to get back to performing well. But in terms of sort of a boost from Troy Deeney being out as well, then how much of a, of a sort of catalyst do you think that could be for Saints? Well, it's handy because it removes Watford's option to go long. Mm. One thing that I noticed from the from their semi-final against Wolves was that while they played a lot of pretty sort of intricate stuff in and around the midfield area, they also weren't terrified about just lumping it up long to to Dini for him to him to bring it down, and it it gives the defenders something else to think about. Yeah. And the fact that we now don't have to face that likely aerial bombardment uh, means that we can kind of focus on how we're going to deal with the the sort of channel running of um, Andre Gray and mm. the the sort of guile and technical ability of uh, Delafeu. Yeah. Um, Delafeu has been outstanding in the last two or three months. Mm. For me, he's the player we've got to keep quiet. Yeah. Um, if we keep him quiet, then I think we've got a we've got a very good chance of getting the result. I don't think they're don't think they're all that defensively. No. Um, no. They're they're there to be got at in certain areas, but you've got to kind of keep the door bolted at, at the back before you can start. Um, attacking them at the other end yeah and I think um, you know even though they had a good win at Huddersfield I mean obviously Huddersfield the pressure's off so you know they could have performed a bit better but I think they've lost three of their last five so uh, you know admittedly they played very well against Arsenal probably deserve something for that and they had 10 men for 80 minutes so we know it's going to be a tough game Vicarage Road the sort of performances over the years there for Saints have been a bit mixed in terms of results so I guess from that point of view Steve it's not going to be certainly an easy game by any stretch of the imagination no I mean I, I guess the fact that we both played yesterday there's no real advantage to yeah. Watford for having an extra like three hours break or um, rest ahead of the game. That's mm. that's negligible, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vicarage Road is a ground that we've historically not done particularly well at. Mm. Barring, I think we've won twice there in the last. Well, I remember Ricky got a hat trick, didn't he? And then we won yeah. that four three game. And then that four three game, yeah. there should there should have been about five nil. Really, we absolutely <laughs> battered them in that game. Yeah. And our usual thing of once we got into the lead, we took our foot off the gas and let them back into it. Mm. But yeah, it's, I think we've got a chance of getting a result there. Mm. Um, mm. It does seem as if basically all the teams who are sort of in the shakeup for seventh place, I mean, they all lost last weekend, yep. um, all four of them. And obviously uh, Watford won yesterday, but Wolves were dreadful against Brighton. Just mm. no, no cutting edge there at all. Mm. And, um, and West Ham obviously tossed it away against Leicester. So there's no real um, sense that any of those teams is going to run away with seventh place. Yeah. So they're, they're still, they're still going to be going for it to an extent, but you do kind of wonder whether for Watford, the nearer they get to get to the middle of May, mm. players are going to have one eye on making sure they're, they're fit and available for the cup final. Yeah. 
this game is probably the last one where someone can get sent off and still be available for that cup final. I think Watford will be at full tilt for this one, and depending on how other results for other, for other teams in and around them for the rest of the season go, this may be the last the last game that they're willing and prepared to do that. Yeah, and I guess we could have won under Pellegrino if DeCorey hadn't handballed it in in the last minute. But uh, look, um, having caught up with Ralph, Adam, I, I know it will only be, I mean, we're recording on Sunday, so there's still a lot that can happen between now and Tuesday. But, you know, Valerie, you hope his illness might sort of disappear and he'll be fit. What about Vestergaard? I mean, was Ralph giving away anything after the Newcastle game about whether that could be short term or do we think he's likely to not be available for that? Well, I think it, it's still regarded as short term, but but probably not short term enough. They'll be available for Tuesday, given the yep. short turnaround between the matches. So I think with Valerie, it's a case of wait and see mm-hmm. how he gets over his illness, whether he's, um, and you know, what state he's in afterwards. We all know if you pick up a nasty bug that knocks you out on a Friday, you might not be quite up to playing Premier League football on a Tuesday. I think we can all appreciate that. So mm-hmm. I guess it just depends how quickly he recovers from it. Uh, Vestergaard, I think, unlikely to mm-hmm. be back. Fair enough. So, okay, right. I've got my uh, got my coin again. Then Adam, you can go first this time. So this is for Watford away. So uh, right, heads or tails, Adam? Heads. Oh, it's a head. Excellent. Well done. Good. Promise. Right, you can go first. Prediction. I'm a little bit undecided actually, but um, what I normally prefer to do is to let you guys pick and then me to complain that that was definitely what I was going to go for. <laughs> well, you can't do um, that anymore. No. And when you were talking about previous games of Watford, I just the one. Uh, you know me, I've got a terrible, terrible memory for games. I'm, I'm useless at remembering games that have been in, <laughs> have happened in the past. One of the things that games that does stick out is the 5-2 oh, Steve Weekly yeah. defeat for when they were trying to get a place in the League Cup quarterfinals. Mm. And they were, were they 5-0 down when they got their two <laughs> goals at the end, yeah. which slightly yeah. coloured the, it was, uh, that has got to be the worst I think I've ever seen Saints play in Why my me? very long Saints very long career um, I mean that was an absolute shambles and that is still slightly uh, yeah. haunting though actually funny enough I, I looked at the team for that game the other day I just Alan Blaney to... Alan Blaney was in goal Sean Dyche was playing for Watford that day yeah. Um, yeah Saints actually had a decent team out that day by by their standards um, there was this, a... is, this is a very long diversion to get into your prediction but 1-0 <laughs> right good Stephen oh god I'm big I think the last time I was I was yeah, called, clean, called clean Stephen was, yeah. was yeah was when when my mum last annoyed with me which must have been about sixteen years ago when I moved out. Um, are, are you a Stephen or a Steve? Stephen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a Benjamin with a, P, with, yeah. with a PH as well. Oh, right, oh, very, very posh. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Benjamin um, with a B. There we go. Carry on. I think they'll probably just about have enough to beat us. I suspect probably one nil. Oh, one nil. Okay, I've gone two one Watford, so that's fine. You can you can have one nil, Steve. So uh, good. So there we go. Two one Watford is my prediction. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. After Watford, it's Bournemouth. Steve, Bournemouth, been a bit hot and cold this season. You, you probably don't know which Bournemouth's going to arrive at Saints because uh, as they showed at Brighton the other week, they can be quite devastating. But as they've shown at home to Fulham, they've lost that game. So I hope you can uh, predict it a bit better than I can. Well, I, th- I think given Bournemouth's uh, record at St Mary's and mm. their their usual um, 
build up the game as if it's a massive thing and then they just about turn up and then just fold yeah. like a pack of cards so i'm <laughs> i'm i'm expecting basically a continuation of their performance from yesterday it's, it's good to see us tempting fate already steve yeah obviously but, <laughs> um performance away record is atrocious mm. we've suddenly decided that we're capable of playing at home yep. again so the bookies will make us overwhelming favourites, and I think rightly so. Yeah. Uh, Bournemouth got nothing to play for really, apart from a couple of million pound per uh, per place. But do they really? Are they really that bothered about that? Mm. Um, I mean, last last season they had the opportunity to pretty much relegate us, yep. and they couldn't even couldn't even bring themselves to do that. So, mm. and I mean, just think how bad that side was. They're just too flaky, and they it, it's almost as if the fans get up for that game mm. and they try and get it into the players' heads that it's a massive game. Yep. But the players just, no, not really. No, I know, I know. Yeah. I, I guess that's the thing, Adam, isn't it? You've got to hope that if the worst does happen at Watford and we lose, that Saints have now got to be thinking they need three points. Whatever happens between Cardiff and Liverpool, again, we're recording before that game. But uh, Saints are going to need three points from somewhere before the end of the season to, to stay up and make sure that they stay up. So... From an intensity point of view, you've got to think that Saints are going to be up for that game one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it's at home as well. And obviously, the, the way things are these days is that there's expectation that they will play well at home because that's, that is what they've been doing. Mm. Um, I mean, you feel like one day Bournemouth are surely going to turn up mm. for one of these matches. And when they do, as we've seen, they can be... Oh, you know, in some of the games they play, they can be a very, very good team. Yeah. But it's interesting though, because obviously I speak to a lot of the guys in and around covering Saints who also cover Bournemouth as mm. well. And yeah, I think for the first time now, by the sounds of it, in a very long time, there's starting to be just one or two little rumblings of discontent around Eddie Howe. Mm. Not significant, because I think most people, you know, he's fairly sainted down there, so he can kind of do no wrong really in the overall scheme of things but i think one or two people are just beginning to get that feeling of this is happening every year we sort of do well in periods and then we have these horrendous drop-offs and so i think that from from their point of view for some momentum going forward they really could do with the result and it would be huge for them to actually come to some areas and and actually do something for a change rather than as steve said just completely capitulate basically, in the face of, of Saints. Um, I'm, more than happy, I'm more than happy for them to capitulate in face of Saints, Adam. None of us have been disappointed by the results. And like Steve said, last year, of course, they, they did, you know, for all their big talk, they did Saint, They basically kept Saints in the Premier League, as mm. we've said before, with the double header of spineless capitulation at St Mary's and then beating Swansea. <laughs> um, they basically kept Saints up yep. uh, last year, almost single-handedly. So thanks, Bulba, for that. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and to further tempt uh, fate, Adam, I saw that we'd scored in our last 12 home games as well in a row. I didn't know that. So that's obviously something that probably now will break. But that's pretty impressive when you think of the struggles that Saints have had at St Mary's over the last couple of years. Yeah, it is, it is impressive. And what they just need is to get one or two, you know, the strikers scoring as well. I mean, Shane Long, I mean, I was, I was saying, thinking about it yesterday, obviously we talked about Shane Long being the only guy to striker, you know, recognised striker, as it were, to score in 2019 so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the, the struggle that Danny Ings had, really just looked totally out of sorts at Newcastle, yeah. you you started to think, blimey, there's, there seems, you start to feel for the first time it's half a chance the Saints might go through 
to the end of the season and you mm. might get to August and only Shane Long is the only striker who scored for Saints yeah. in 2019. I mean, it is possible, which just goes to show how well the rest of the team has been, particularly the midfield has done because mm. the midfield has scored the goals to keep Saints in the Premier League, basically. Yeah. And just finally then, Steve, it's the penultimate home game of the season, as we said. You know, St Mary's will be practically full again. There will probably be quite a good atmosphere. So, again, we've spoken about it, you know, in terms of confidence that's come around St Mary's over the last few weeks. So, Saints will want to end the season on a high. Yesterday at Newcastle was a bit of a disappointment. We don't know what's going to happen at Watford. But either way, as we say, this is a game, really, that Saints should be on the front foot and looking to pick up three points from. Definitely. I mean, obviously, you've got to be wary that Bournemouth's key strength is that sort of transition on the counter-attack. And as we saw with, I mean, obviously, Ward Prowse's uh, brilliant bit of uh, gamesmanship uh, <laughs> yesterday, that we are at our most vulnerable when we're attacking set pieces, yeah. which is frankly ludicrous. And <laughs> it's just baffling. But And that's and that's one area where Bournemouth are, are quite strong. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we've got to be a little bit wary of that. But I would imagine it'll be quite an open game mm-hmm. and open games generally produce a better atmosphere because there's no real, there's that sort of sense that something's always happening. Yep. Um, unlike games against the likes of, well, that obviously that Cardiff game was a, was a big game. So you kind of had the, the, the atmosphere that was sort of generated off the back of the, the importance of the game. The game itself was dreadful. Yeah. And so therefore you had, almost the sort of dullness and the, the boredom of, of people because neither side could really get into it and uh, force the game, mm. if you like, mm. that the atmosphere kind of sort of just flattened touch. Whereas I think I think that Bournemouth game on, on Saturday, because it'll be so open and there'll be stuff happening, yeah. that'll hopefully play to our advantage in terms of uh, keeping the atmosphere strong and and hopefully players kind of feeding off of that. Yeah. Right, let's do some predictions. So, Steve, you can call the uh, coin toss this time. Obviously, if you get it right, you can go first. If you get it wrong, Adam gets to go first. So, uh, the coin's in the air. What are you going for? Tails. Tails never fails. Oh, it's it's a tail. You guys are good at predicting. You're better at this than you are at uh, the actual results themselves. So, uh, Steve, you're up first. Well, imagine how bad you'd be at this, then. <clears throat> Carry on. <laughs> um, I'm going to go go for a bold 3-0 win. Blimey. That's uh, unexpected. Excellent. Adam? I'm going to go for a Saints win as well. I will go... I think it'll be probably a little bit closer. I'll go for a 2-1 win. 2-1 win. All right, cool. I'm going to go... I'm going to pull Steve's prediction out there. I'm going to go no, for the Desmond. No, Yeah, classic tool. <laughs> go, a classic go tool. Desmond. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think Bournemouth are pretty dangerous on the counter-attack and I'm sure we'll uh, manage to frustrate at that end and uh, hopefully create some chance at the other end. I think uh, certainly there's goals in it for Saints as well. So, yeah, I'm going to go for 2 all. Thanks for listening to this week's TSP. As mentioned, it's easy to get frustrated over one bad performance, but the good thing is uh, Saints have a chance now to put that right straight away up at Watford. Let's hope they can take that opportunity. We'll be back again next week to chat Bournemouth, look ahead to the penultimate game of the season versus West Ham and discuss everything in between that. Until then, let's keep marching in.
it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2 and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.